You're listening to New York's only home for reefer madness. Every week, we'll explore the unique perspective of cannabis in the global hub of commerce and culture. Hear the insights, stories, challenges, and successes of those blazing a path from Brooklyn to Buffalo and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Kalen Kassetter, coming to you from the Green Valley of Opportunity, Binghamton, New York. This is the Empire State of Cannabis. Welcome to the show. Today, we have a highly respected and successful entrepreneur from upstate New York, Eddie Brennan. He's the president and co-owner of Beacon Skiff 1911. Eddie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor to, to be on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think a lot of the guests, they, they know you guys maybe in many different capacities, right? Maybe they've purchased 1911 uh, cider from their local bar, or maybe they purchased uh, some of your spirits, right? Maybe they've been to the facility in Lafayette. So why don't you let us know exactly what Beacon Skiff is, 1911, what's the relationship there uh, in a way that, that people might recognize you? Yeah, absolutely. So we're a, a multifaceted family business. So, you know, I like to think we're still a small business, but, uh, you know, we cover a lot of uh, we go across a lot of different product classifications uh, and customers interact with us in a, in a lot of different ways. So, um, you know, we're, we're a vertically integrated company starting out in the orchard. So, you know, we go all the way from tree to bottle. So, you know, we have a thousand acres of apple trees planted here in, in Lafayette, uh, you know, in the, in the Lafayette Valley. And, and we have, you know, wow. 25 different varieties of apple trees. So, you know, we're first and foremost an apple orchard and that's where everything starts for us. Uh, out in the orchard and we have an amazing uh, orchard team that's been with us for a long time Uh, my cousin pete runs our orchard crew he's part of the fifth generation of our of our family business so everything everything starts there um and we and we work our way up the vertical chain so um you know we start with with the apples we move into fresh cider so we press all of our all of our apples uh and then from there out of our cider mill we we break it up into fresh cider you know, we'll send cider into one of our other facilities where we'll make hard cider and then ultimately we make spirits as well. So, you know, we, we try to move the apples up the value chain um, uh, try to get everything we can out of them. So, yeah, that's um, interesting. You- the idea of moving product of the value chain. Let's get back to that with the hemp. But I do want to touch on the fact, you know, you talk about your cousin and you talk about where everything starts. Well, is 1911, is that really where everything starts? Yeah, I mean, so it, it's 1911 uh, has been probably the most visible part of our company over the last five years. So mm-hmm. it's the it's the brand for us that's mostly widely distributed. So it travels um, out to 15 different states. Um, and that's that's what uh, the younger generation probably knows it for. But but really, the, the Beacon Skiff brand is the brand that's been around for over 100 years. Um, and so really, that date, you know, 1911, though, that's that's true, tried and true. And that's when when you guys start out Beacon Skiff, that's when, when the whole business started? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're a 108 year old family business, uh, now in our fifth, fifth generation of ownership. So that's, wow. you know, as you, as you look at businesses and, and, you know, 90% of businesses don't make it to the third generation. And, you know, we're very proud to be in the fifth generation of true family ownership. And, you know, it's, it's really been innovation and change that's allowed us to survive all of these years. Cause if we had just stayed in apple orchard, uh, you know, I don't know we, that we'd still be in business. So it's it's allowed us to continue to uh, innovate, create new products, and move with the times. And you're part of that original line, that original family line? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So we have skiff, uh, beaks and skiffs. I'm part of the skiff family. My grandfather had five daughters. Um, and so we had a lot of uh, son-in-laws that were in the, in the business. And about five years ago, we had a change in ownership. We actually, about five years ago, had a devastating crop. Actually, maybe six years ago, had a real devastating crop in New York State where we lost about 90% of the apples uh, in our orchard. And that was uh, wow. the genesis for kind of looking at our business and saying, you know, we need to diversify out of uh, just making fresh cider or just selling apples to grocery store. How can we protect ourselves from from going through something like this again? And, and it was really that was really when we started to look at spirits and hard cider and find a way to diversify and not be so reliant uh, on, on just the apples for for the grocery store uh, consumer. Yeah. And I think that's a story that plays out all over rural America. Right. You know, you go from apples going to pretty much a commodity. Right. I mean, you didn't really sell many apples direct to consumer in that business, did you? Uh, no, you know, we, we were always a supplier of apples to, to Wegmans and Tops, but uh, that was never where we got the most value. You know, we always got the most value as we moved the apple up the supply chain. And we still are a purveyor of, of fresh fruit um, to different packing lines throughout New York State. But what we've always realized is, uh, you know, the farmer's the first one to get hurt um, when, a, when a, there's a, a dip uh, in the price of a commodity or a drought or... Uh, you know, in, in in the case of apples, frost or hail, you know, the farmer is the first one that gets hurt and, and the processors are the ones who, who set the price and ultimately the retailers do as well. So, you know, we, we've learned how important it is to work our way uh, up that value chain uh, to try to be more at the processor packing um, side of the business and, and really all the way up to uh, trying to make a finished product that we can sell then uh, to customers. So are you taking lessons learned there and you're translating in, in the hemp too, right? Because you, you guys just announced uh, another part of your business, uh, which is extraction of, of hemp. Um, do you want right. to explain, expound a little upon that? What made you, well, first off, what made you say, all right, I want to enter this crazy hemp uh, industry, right? And then right. how are you taking what you learned from the Apple business and your whole business, not just an Apple business, right, into into cannabis space? Yeah, I think first first and foremost, you know, at Beacon Skip, we're all about change and, and diversification. As we look at our land, you know, we do have a thousand acres of apple trees, uh, but we still have some additional land. And we looked at how do, how do we diversify? And we saw what was going on in the hemp space. And, and we saw that there was a way to take the plant uh, and vertically integrate it all the way up to a finished product. And, and that's at Beacon Skip. What we really love to do is uh, start with a product in the field and try to try to create um, finished products that can that can tell a story. I think as I look um, at the hemp space, unfortunately, what I've seen is, uh, you know, a lot of people getting into into it maybe for the wrong reasons or trying to make a fast buck. Uh, and you see what's happened over the last uh, 12 to 18 months in the space is I think people, uh, there was a bit of a rude awakening in that, you know, farmers tried to, uh, you know, tried to grow, uh, you know, 15 to 20 acres, realizing how hard it is to grow the crop. Uh, but also that, you know, maybe the market wasn't as robust as they thought they were. So going back to Beacon Skiff and, and where we were, we knew always that when we got into the space, when we were growing, growing hemp, you know, the ultimate goal for us was not just to sell hemp as a, as a commodity product uh, to other processors. We knew we had to really vertically integrate. And if we couldn't process ourselves, uh, we weren't really convinced that we could survive in the space. So we you know, we really tried to apply for that that dual 
growing and processing license so we could um, not only uh, process our own our own crop but potentially help other other farmers process their their crops because what we've seen we've been able to do that in the apple space as well we were a major buyer of apples from different packing lines uh, and farms in New York State uh, we we purchased from you know we purchased hundreds of thousands of pounds from other orchards and we've seen how that's helped you know some of the orchards survive in New York State so we, we see a similar way to to help other farms as well yeah and so is your vision on the hemp you talk about you know vertical integration does that mean going all the way to the consumer with a product yeah absolutely I think when we um, ultimately <clears throat> the ultimate vision for beacon skiff what we're good at currently is is making beverages. So we operate three separate beverage facilities. Uh, we we operate a fresh cider plant where we make some cold brew coffee for some some retailers. We operate a hard cider plant where we also do some non-alcoholic beverages, and then we operate a, a, a distillery. So three separate, distinct beverage facilities, and and we ultimately want to want to vertically integrate all the way to putting uh, CBD you know, water-soluble CBD into beverages. And that's that's the ultimate goal for Beacon Skiff. And I think we had a little bit of a false start last year uh, when we uh, tried to release a product and, and, you know, we're too early into the game and, and realized that potentially we were uh, breaking some rules and, and had to pull back. Um, but ultimately that's where we want to go. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's where we can have a lot of success. And that's ultimately where I think a lot of the consumer demand will lie in, in, in putting CBD into food and beverages. That's where the market will explode when the FDA can make up their minds on where to go with that. Well, absolutely. So from the alcohol space, and, and I was in the, the craft alcohol space also, um, and in the hemp uh, beverage space with an alcohol product. So can you talk about how important regulations are? I mean, you've seen... so. Is, is, it, is it not true that, that what you guys do there at 1911 maybe wasn't possible before they sort of remodernized the, um, you know, farm, brewery, winery, cidery act in uh, earlier part yeah. of the last decade? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I give uh, Governor Cuomo a lot of credit uh, what he did with the craft, uh, craft brewery, craft distillery, and ultimately craft cidery acts, um, you know, ultimately saved Beacon Skiff as a, as a viable company, right? Because we, we were able to diversify our business and, and allow us to survive some downturns with the, uh, with the crop struggling. So it's been a, it's been a huge boon to, to farms, you know, across the state who've been it, whether you look at a winery or you look at a brewery uh, or you look at the apple industry uh, it's, it's been un- unbelievable when you look at the businesses that have uh, that have benefited from it. But when you look into the, um, you know, the craft, whether you look at craft beer or craft wine or craft cider, regulation is is very important and it can be complicated. But at the end of the day, what it guarantees is consistent quality products that are safe for consumers. And I think you and I have talked about this and, you know, you push so much for uh, bringing this into the hemp industry uh, is that, you know, labeling is important. Truth and labeling is important. Where you source your ingredients matters. And ultimately, I think that's going to matter uh, in the in the hemp and the CBD space. Is people will care where it comes from. People will care if it's ethically uh, farmed, if it's if it's ethically produced. If what you say on the label, if you say the label contains 20 milligrams of CBD, that it actually contains 20 milligrams of CBD, and 
in the alcohol industry, there's very little room for, uh, for error there. So if you say you have 5% alcohol in a bottle of cider, you can only have 0.5% variance uh, legally. And that's verified. And, and you have to be able to prove that you can verify that. And I think that is something that will be ultimately good for the category. It'll be complicated uh, for smaller producers, but I think it's, it's paramount uh, to ensuring that there's consistency uh, in the business and, and ultimately that we survive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important point. Uh, when, when you say, you know, it, it's going to be complicated for small producers because seldom do you have business asking for more regulation. And in this case you do, but the question now becomes is, okay, I'm a small producer and Eddie, I respect what you did and this and that, but I can't afford to do what you did, right? What would you say to someone that said that and said, I can't afford these regulations. I can't afford. So why shouldn't I just be able to make my CBD product from my farm in my, you know, uh, facility that's not compliant, et cetera? Uh, you know, what would you, what would you say to that? I think ultimately you have to look at the safety of the product. You have to, you have to look at the end consumer. And I think for the category hmm. to survive and the category to thrive, you know, there has to be a uh, safe, safe product. If you, again, going back to the example of the alcohol space, you know, if you said there was, if you labeled something as 5% alcohol and it ended up being 11, you could cause a lot of damage. And I mm. think the only way the customer is going to, going to believe the only way the customer is going to rely on, on New York state and farms uh, is if there's that truth in labeling, but, but there's no easy solution, right? Kaylin, it's, it's mm. expensive. It was the most expensive, you know, building a GMP uh, certified facility, to, you know, that's also pharmaceutical grade is, is extremely expensive. It was the most extreme, most expensive facility that we that we had to build at Beacon Skiff. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, it's a huge barrier to entry. And it's, you know, is every is everything in the facility necessary? Probably not. Uh, but it's the only way to really guarantee that it's a that it's going to be a safe product. Um, and also, you really need people that are qualified that are that are producing the products because it's not it's a complicated process, and you need those SOPs in place, those standard operating procedures to, to make sure that ultimately uh, what you're making is safe, uh, that it's consistent, and that it's and that it's quality. And if we do that, then we can can compete with the West Coast. We can compete internationally, and ultimately the farms will be better off, right? Because they'll actually have a market to sell their sell their crop into. Yeah, and I think that's really important. So you, you pretty much bring up two points here, right? You, customer, you know, um, trust, right? Consumer trust and uh, competition, competitive edge, right? And so I think when you look at the framework that New York is going towards, it's focused on those two aspects, right? So one, consumer trust that when you go into the store it's a new york product or it's a product sold in new york in general that is going to be compliant uh in what does that mean that means that when i read you know 500 milligrams or you know 20 milligrams per dose i'm getting 20 milligrams per dose i'm getting 500 milligrams total in that bottle but also that there's no contaminants i'm not taking something to aid my health but it's actually doing the opposite, which we've seen, you know, an in independent testing of other products and on the marketplace and CBD. But then also saying, OK, if you're going to access New York and obviously New York is such a significant marketplace, but if you're going to access New York, then you must also play to the same rules that uh, that you have and, you know, invest in the same way that you have because it's right for the consumer and it's fair. 
right? And so that right. fairness, I think Absolutely. that that argument of leveling the playing field, I think, you know, is the trade-off. It's the balancing act to increasing regulations, right? Because it's basically right. saying we're going that way anyways. We need to go that way. And so, but we're not going to put our producers at a disadvantage, you know? Absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, it is going to be a barrier to entry, but but it is going to ensure quality and consistency and safety. And, and Beacon Skip, we really want to be at the leading edge of innovation, but we also want to be at the leading edge of doing it the right way and, mm. and setting an example all the way up the all the way up the supply chain. We know we, you know, we we've farmed ethically for many years, but also we know, uh, you know, we know how to hire the right people to ensure the quality and consistency. You know, that's, you know, we've looked at of all the products that we we produce and and the the fan base that we built over the years is really because the customer knows when they're purchasing a product from Beacon Skip, they're going to get that same product every time. If they order an original cider, they're going to get the same thing every time. Hmm. And I've seen, you know, we've seen categories, uh, whether it be within craft beer or wine. And, you know, if you see deviation from that, that's where you, you start to lose customer trust. And then they'll go back to the, the bigger producers, the Bud Lights and the, and the cores to use a beer example. They'll go back to them because at the end of the day, they're consistent, they're quality, and they follow the regulations. <clears throat> and ultimately, they'll win because of it. So, you know, I do think that there can be a craft element to to the cannabis space and specifically mm. uh, hemp and CBD. I think there can be a, that that craft niche, whether it's organic uh, or whether whether we're focused on specific strains. Uh, you know, I do. I do think there's going to be that that craft element. I think it's yet to be seen if that's uh, going to rear its head. But I think it's really up to us to to push the boundaries uh, and to show the customers that we can be different. Because at the end of the day, a small processor like Beacon Skiff that you know you could you could say you know doing 500 to 1,000 pounds a day is small or big depending on who who you talk to. But someone like Beacon Skiff is not not going to compete you know, with, with a company that's going to produce 50,000 to a hundred thousand pounds a day, right? We have to have our point of difference. We have to carve out what makes, uh, you know, the craft cannabis space different. And I think that it's going to come down to, uh, us pushing boundaries and us just trying to, you know, create something that the customer's ultimately going to want, because, What's going to happen in the CBD space is there's going to be commoditization, right? Hmm. Especially when you look at the, you know, when you push into isolate, you know, you have a uniform product, you know, what's, what's making it different. Uh, I think that's, that's going to be the test of, of the processors and the farmers and, and ultimately the people that create the end product is how do we differentiate? How do we, you know, create that? that leading edge of the, of the craft space that's going to make customers interested in our products and they're going to make them pull us off the shelf and ultimately going to make us be able to charge a premium or command a premium for our products. That's yeah, how it went. I think it's really interesting. You talk about craft space and you talk about uh, craft, you know, cannabis products in general. Um, you know, I think about from a consumer perspective, being a, a consumer of 1911, right? You don't just buy it because it's from New York. You buy it because it's good and that it's consistent. But also, do you also purchase because it makes you 
uh, remember an experience you had up at your tasting room, right? Whether it's a concert or just an experience in the tasting room itself. And I feel like the wineries in New York State have done a really good job at that. So from a business perspective, how important is it that you can serve the customer on site? And how important is it not just for that, for that you know, higher profit margin on site that you just received from that customer being there, but the lifetime of that customer? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at consumer intent to purchase in a grocery store, you know, there's been studies done that a customer is three times more likely to pull your product off the shelf if they've been to your physical tasting room, Hmm. had an experience, been on site, learned about the history of the product, uh, and ultimately, you know, develops a connection, a connection with the product. Yeah, I think you, you said you, you talked about being local and you know, sometimes in the beer space and the cider space, you get in trouble because local, sometimes people try to sell on the fact that they're local, uh, which is fine. But but local isn't isn't necessarily a reason to buy hmm. unless you also have the, the quality and the consistency there. But back to the uh, back to the the tasting room experience, that's paramount. And, and really, that's how in the beer and the, and the cider and the wine industry that producers have survived, uh, because you need that that higher margin revenue. Uh, in addition to that place to really interact with your customer, uh, give them that emotional connection to your brand so that when they're, you know, not, not on your place, not on your property, uh, they feel like uh, they've had that experience. So whether they have a chance to purchase it online when they go home or they see it in a, in a grocery store, that's, that's incredibly important. And I think there'll be an element of that in, in the cannabis space. I've always joked with my team. I think there's, there's definitely an opportunity for like a pick your own, cannabis type of business going back to like pick your own apples uh i don't know if that you know if that makes sense in a regulatory framework but i definitely think there's there's something to be said for cannabis tours i I remember the first time that i saw uh, a marijuana plant growing or a cannabis plant uh growing out in a field it's a it's a really cool experience to be able to see that, right? It's something really unique and interesting, and something a lot of people haven't been able to experience. And I think uh, there's there's a romantic element to being able to go out uh, into a field and see that and learn about the plant because it really is a cool a cool plant, unlike any other unlike any other plant out there when you look at the uses of it. But I yeah, think I, that the I, consumer out there is very interested. I do. And I think the on-premise consumption is really interesting and it does fit in regulatory frameworks. We've seen the MRTA and the CRTA, we're talking about adult use cannabis, uh, to have on-premise consumption. And there's nothing that would prohibit on-premise consumption, obviously, with a hemp extract uh, product. Um, so it's it. you have a very interesting perspective because you are in, you know, you, you talk about Wegmans, you talk about, you know, being in these spots, you know, uh, distributed, I, I'm not, not sure, you know, how far, how far your products are distributed, but you, you go against the big players, right? And so how important is it as we develop a craft canvas industry, in your opinion, that we allow uh, producers in upstate New York to open to the public so that they can compete against the inevitability of big cannabis in the way that you have to compete against big alcohol. Absolutely. I think, you know, going back to creating that emotional connection with the customer, we have to, we have to create uh, that open environment where customers can come in and try to understand what makes, what makes our product different. Hmm. I think going in a little bit of a, of a different direction and and going back to, to beverages and, and food, I think, that is 
the unlock to helping farms ultimately in New York State and across the country. I think if you look at the acreage that was planted last year across the United States and you take the total acreage and divide it across the actual need in the United States, there was way more hemp grown than, than needed, correct? Mm-hmm. But if you if you look at if if there had been the opportunity to put the CBD into beverages and food, you could have been looking at potentially a shortage when you when you talk about some of the bigger producers getting into it. There's a huge uh, consumer appetite right now to have CBD in, in food and beverages across yeah. the board, and and I think that when that when that gets figured out. Uh, you know, all bets are off. I think I think the category really thrives. I think right now we're at, we're at a time in the industry where uh, you know we're we're a bit stalled right now when you're talking specifically about CBD. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's there's a need um, to prove that the that the product's safe. And and I think you know there's there's bigger players at it right now that are you know if you look at the pharmaceutical industry uh, that don't have the best interests of small producers in mind. Uh, and ultimately, CBD is a very safe product, and and you know we we're, we at Beacon Skiff, you know we want to be able to give the customers the the experience of of consuming CBD in a beverage, and that's ultimately uh, very important to us. And and we can't really provide that on premise experience to the customer that Beacon Skiff experience unless we can give it to them in beverage form. Yeah. So what you're saying is if they're regulators and lawmakers listening on the federal and state level that they're in action really on uh, CBD and beverage and, and on the federal level, the obstruction is preventing you from being able to develop your business and preventing farmers from having an outlet, a significant outlet into the market. Right. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at, when you look at safety and beverage, cause that's ultimately what's important, right? Ensuring safety uh and also assure ensuring efficacy of the of the final product uh and we look at you know you and i have talked and i have talked about you know beverages and should they be produced in a cfr 111 facility should they be produced in a cfr 117 facility and and not to get too much into technical terms but the beverage industry uh, has unbelievable gmps in place uh and great certification to provide safety to the consumer that are adopted by everyone from Wegmans to Tops to Price Chopper to all of these grocery stores. Uh, and, and we really believe that these are the guidelines that, that can ultimately be used uh, when we're talking about putting CBD into beverages and, and ensuring that the product's safe, ensuring the product has the, the effective dose. Uh, you know, I don't know that there's, there's a need to rewrite the regulations on when you look at, uh, at beverages and, and how they're you know, they're produced. We, we feel like uh, we have the, the right framework. And, and, you know, as long as the, uh, the GMPs are being followed, it should be a, a very safe product. Yeah. Do you think there's any more danger in consuming a CBD beverage than consuming an alcohol beverage from a public health standpoint? Yeah. I mean, absolutely, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I actually think it'll allow people to have, uh, you know, the average customer will have the opportunity uh to experience the product uh, yeah. because they'll, they'll be able to include it in their, in their daily ritual, whether that's having a cup of coffee, uh, which we, you know, we produced a, a cold brew coffee last year that was delicious and, mm. you know, didn't, unfortunately didn't see the light of day, but, uh, or whether they're, they're drinking a seltzer or, 
you know, I think when you when you start talking about alcohol, there's there's some questions there. Uh, I don't think we're ready for that, but I, I think in terms of non-alcoholic beverages, uh, it, it could be a home run. Yeah, no, I think, but I, you know, I think the argument against allowing CBD in food and beverage, the argument that the FDA puts forward, I think falls apart in a lot of ways when you start to look at, when you just go to your convenience store and look at what you have available to purchase as someone who's over 21. And, and that's what I mean there, right? So an alcohol product, Red Bull, I mean, any of these products that could possibly or have been linked to certain adverse health effects are still available to the public and rightfully so. And so that it is... Uh, it falls apart from a public safety standpoint to say no cannabinoids, non-psychoactive cannabinoids such as CBD cannot be included in beverages, right? And so from a logic right. standpoint, it just doesn't make sense to the consumer and shouldn't make sense to, to regulators either. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's it's an important point. Uh, so, so Eddie, so if, you know, for all the listeners that, that, that have listened to this and they're like, wow, you know, this sounds like a great brand, great opportunity. Obviously, your CBD beverages aren't on the market yet, right? But where can someone go to find a little more information about you guys and be try your non-CBD beverages? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, beaconskip.com mm. uh, is our is our family website where we, you know, have a little bit of our family history. That's where we sell our apples and, and our fresh cider. And then uh, 1911spirits.com uh, is where you can go online and, and learn more about our alcohol division. Uh, you purchase our spirits. Uh, actually, you can't buy vodka and gin and, and bourbon online. It's illegal, but uh, you can find it in most of the local liquor stores in New York State. And then, yeah, the fresh or the hard cider we, we can sell online. Um, Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, I think that this is a great conversation, but I, more than anything, this shows what the potential of the cannabis industry is, right? You have someone who've been, you know, successfully looked at the marketplace in your, in your, in your business and Beacon Skiff's business and said, okay, I need to do something more. I need to, you know, um, develop more down the supply chain, right. And become more vertically integrated. But at the same time, let's create jobs. Let's create, you know, a great opportunity for the community and now you're looking at the cannabis space in the same way, right? And this is part of a success story that I think we can see more and more of as New York State, um, you know, really pushes for the development of this industry. And I think that, you know, looking at what you're doing and taking lessons from it, right? Not necessarily saying, okay, I'm going to be Beacon Skiff because maybe you're too small. Maybe you, but, but maybe saying, okay, the lessons of, thinking through the customer, thinking through my business plan, thinking through my strategy uh, with the customer in mind the entire way is best if I'm going to enter a turbulent marketplace like the cannabis industry. And if I'm a regulator and I'm a lawmaker, I'm looking at, at this and saying, okay, how do we ensure that these kind of businesses can succeed and thrive? Because the reality is, if it's not you, it's going to be InBev. It's going to be Constellation Brands doing this, and they're going to be doing it in another state. And that's just right, that's absolutely. just the reality. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I and I hope ultimately that you know we make we make CBD and ultimately you know marijuana more accessible to people. I think if you look at the you know I think the pricing right now is such is at such a premium price point that it's not accessible for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and, and I hope that, you know, as the category gains more momentum and becomes more uh, established in New York State, that there is more accessibility of, of price point uh, and selection for people. I think yeah. that's that's very important. 
Excellent. Thanks, Eddie. And, you know, for our listeners today, subscribe, like, leave a review. Uh, you know, all these things as we continue to bring you stories of entrepreneurs such as Eddie, leaders in the space every week on Empire State of Cannabis. Thank you so much, Eddie, and good luck for your business. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely.